Where do I start? How do I train recall? How long should we work on healing before moving on? Is crate training really that important? We hear these questions all the time and there's one answer that will help with all of them. The complete step-by-step dog training course found at Standing Stone Supply. They break down the what, when, where, and how to train your own dog from eight weeks to one year old. They've got it all laid out for you down to even the daily activity checklist to keep you and your puppy on track. Check out standingstonesupply.com and remember to use code GDIY to save 10%. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. GDIY profiles are bonus episodes that tell the stories of how your everyday handler got into the gun dog world. You'll hear plenty of examples of what to do as well as what not to do and how they learn from those experiences. These episodes are being put out to tell the honest stories that we as do-it-yourself dog handlers can all relate to. If you think you would be a good fit for a profile episode, please go to gundogityourself.com and complete the contact form and we may get back to you so that you can share your story. All right, everybody, welcome back to another edition of the GDIY Profile. My guest this time is Colin Smith. Colin, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, man. How are you? Uh, living the dream as always. Can't complain. Uh, go ahead and start off with the obvious, what I ask everybody uh, to, to lead this off. Tell everybody where you're calling from and what kind of dogs you run. Yeah, so I'm calling from uh, Tappahannock, Virginia, which is like on the eastern seaboard of Virginia, for anyone not familiar with the state. And uh, I have two different wire hairs, young wire hairs. Um, we have a lab mix, an older lab mix. He's not a hunting dog, great family dog. You know, he's probably 10 years old, um, but, you know, doesn't hunt. So my primary focus is on the two wire hairs. Nice. So why German wire hair? I know that that's kind of opening a can of worms when you start talking to wire hair guys, but why wire hairs? What got you excited about that breed? Yeah. And so I'll kind of preface it with saying I'm a guy that like loves all breeds, right? Like I think I I ended up with wire hair and can talk some about that, but I mean, I love, I've got buddies that have setters, Nav the training days feel like 90% short hairs and every now and then a small monster, you know? And so I just enjoy seeing different dogs work. And so when I went, when I went into it, I initially thought I was going to get a setter. Um, I love English setters. And to, to be honest, I know that, that what worried me a little bit. So being around a lot of water, um, the retrieving was a really big thing for me. And I know there's a lot of great, lines out there where those you know setters are getting the water and they retrieve so i don't want to pigeonhole the breed but for me and with it being a first dog i was like well i felt just a little bit more confident that i would get kind of consistent retrieving a dog that liked the water to go the route of the wire hair and aesthetically uh, i liked the breed also the coat so where we hunt i mean whether it's you know around the bay in cold water or if you're pretty much where we find birds is just in really thick cutover so the coat, you know, is a big thing for me too. I find that they're just pretty resilient, you know, through thorns and a lot of thick stuff. So yeah, that's kind of how it happened. I narrowed it down that way. Um, I knew I wanted a versatile breed, right? So I didn't mention that 
to begin with, but I was really interested in getting a breed that I felt like could really be pretty consistent in water and on land. So that, that's how I landed with it. But I don't want any setter people. I know you have a setter to get upset with me because I know someone saying like, my dog does both <laughs> retrieves ducks in it, you know? So I just felt like I had to figure out for me, you know, what I thought would be the best fit, you know, to be honest with you. So that's how, that's how I land on the wire here. Yeah, man, it, it, you're you're definitely not offending me. How dare you tell me that setters don't retrieve? I mean, it, it, <laughs> the way I tell everybody is because it doesn't happen very often, but I do get some messages every now and again from somebody that gets a, gets a little hurt from somebody's comment about a, a breed or something. And and the, the thing that I try and convey to everybody is like, look, in all stereotypes of breeds, there's some element of truth to it. These are observations from decades and 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 long just people seeing what they see like people would not acknowledge this if it didn't exist in some way shape or form and i'm not you know there's outliers in every breed every dog is different to where i've seen some setters uh, i've seen one of the best retrievers i've seen is a setter right and then you know conversely i've seen a setter that doesn't even have any interest in pointing. So it's, you know, it, it's just, if somebody gets offended by some breed talk, I'm like, eh, lighten up. Like, you know, we all know that your dog is different. Everybody's dog is different, but it's, it's all in good fun. You got to be able to laugh at it at some point. Yeah. And I feel okay. Kind of saying it because I got really close friends that have them. Uh, so we talk about it a lot. And I think ultimately, I think one day I could end up with one. Like that's, I'm really interested in getting one, but, um, the versatility aspect. So at the time too, when I got my wire hair, I was doing a lot more deer hunting. And so the tracking aspect, um, you know, and not that again, not that setters or other breeds can't do that, but, um, you know, that was a big thing for me too. But then once I got the dog, I stopped deer hunting. So I kind of like, <laughs> go figure. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I went the, uh, the first fall that I had them, um, I went in October, uh, for bow season. That's really was my favorite time to go anyways. And then the next year I didn't even go in bow season. Um, never even took my bow out of the case. So I haven't gone, you know, it's been almost three years now since I've deer hunted. I still fool around with like turkeys in the spring. I enjoy that. But, you know, in the fall, man, it's just already I'm just kind of itching to go. You know, the last thing I don't set game cameras up anymore. I don't do any of that stuff for deer. So some people might say like, well, maybe you weren't a really passionate deer hunter. And I think I'm like, I don't know. I spent a lot of time in a tree stand (laughs) for a lot of years and just kind of tied it up. And the kids too, the kids make it different because you know the kids can get involved with the dogs you know that's really how I got into the upland scene yeah they go to training days with me I try to get them to help um, yeah that's a good point plant birds my oldest is seven so she she'll help me sometimes if she's in the mood to and so it just seemed like a more family friendly you know thing too so that's really how I ended up branching more like the my interest in even getting the bird dogs became i was like well i love being outdoors i love hunting done it for a long time but this sitting in a tree stand having young kids it just isn't really conducive to our lifestyle right now so i'm glad i kind of took a leap of faith because i had no idea what i was doing i was like i'm just gonna get it we've got quail around the house i see woodcock periodically and i'm just gonna jump in and figure it out which is what i did heck yeah well dude you you i can tell you from experience you're not the only one i've been in the field with quite a few deer hunters avid avid deer hunters that all of a sudden they shoot a bird over their dog's point for the first time and they're just like wow this doesn't compare 
to deer hunting. Like deer hunting, like I, I do it on occasion too. I fit it in when and where I can, but uh, priority wise, I'm going bird hunting just for the sheer fun of it and being able to walk around. I mean, we sit on our butts, you know, almost every day looking at these computer screens and working and stuff like that. I don't want to go sit in the woods either. I want to get out and move around with the dogs. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. So tell me about your wire hairs. How how close in age are they? Like, did you get both of them kind of around the same time or did you space them out a little bit? Yeah, so they're uh, pretty close in age. Um, they're within about, so my youngest is 13 months and the oldest is about two and a half. So pretty close in age. You know, I always say like within about a year of each other. Um, so they're within about a year in age. And I did that because I was, I was kind of going back and forth between like, should I, should I wait a little bit? Like ideally I probably would have wanted to wait until my older one was four or five before getting, um, getting another dog. But I was spending so much time training, you know, like, you know, getting birds, I've got homing pigeons at the house and I felt like, well, it really isn't going to be that much work to add a second. So I felt like training both kind of around the same time for roughly the same thing. And also having a second dog, you know, to hunt with, because I knew I wanted to start traveling some, even on days like around the house. Like if I hunt like a wildlife management area in the morning and then maybe around my house in the afternoon, it's nice to have two, you know, hunt, put one on the ground in the morning and then hunt the other one in the, in the afternoon, particularly if it's kind of warm. So I just sort of jumped, jumped in. I think I'd mentioned to you before in passing, um, you know, when I got the, the puppy we had, I think of uh, Thomas, our youngest, I was maybe six months old. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, we barely got Leo out of the puppy stage. And I was talking to my wife while we have a six month old. I'm like, well, you know, maybe, maybe we'll get a puppy. <laughs> so she's a good sport about it. She's, you know, my wife is really supportive. Um, I'm sure yours is too, because obviously it takes a lot of time and commitment, you know, to do this, particularly if you're training on your own and, you know, taking care of the pigeons and all of that stuff. So, yeah, I just felt like, well, I might as well rip off the bandaid and just get the second pup. So that's what I did. Now, nah, I mean, you, you you make it make a good point. You know, circling back to the deer thing, to where it's when you get into the dog training and the and the bird hunting, it is a little bit more of a family activity in you know relative to deer hunting and just sitting in a stand, maybe. To where every day, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that my wife and, and daughter joins me on the the daily training runs or or training sessions, but they're cued in at at some level every single day, even if that's just going to help take care of the pigeons every day or feed the pigeons. And my little girl just loves uh, running around. She, you know, she just she loves chasing the pigeons when they're circling and kitten up uh, up in the air and I let them fly. She just runs underneath them. It, it, you know, being a little kid, she has fun with it. And then, you know, if I'm running the dogs or working the dogs on the obstacle course, guess who's climbing the obstacles with them? The little girl. She's, she's you know, they, they have a little bit of fun with it. So, you know, when the wives see the kids having fun with the dogs, it's not that big of a leap to, you know, sometimes push your, push your boundaries sometimes and be like, hey, you know, let, let's go get another dog. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I just didn't feel like it's kind of where we got with the kids where like, you know, third kid really doesn't feel like that much more work. I had been enough out of the puppy stage with the first dog that I'd kind of forgotten how much work a puppy is, you know, even though it'd only been, you know, like nine months prior. So that, that was tough with having a baby and the puppy, uh, didn't, but already wasn't really sleeping a lot. Right. So if you're up, the baby's waking up, like might as well take Rosie, you know, the younger wire her out. So it's just kind of like complete chaos for about six months. But 
um, we're, we're good now. We're on the other side of that. So looking forward to the, to the fall um, for sure. But, you know, you mentioned the pigeons and watching them fly and stuff. That's been, I think, the coolest thing for me and the kids is like we love letting them out of the loft, seeing them fly. You get attached to them. You know, I never thought I would have gotten attached to pigeons, but you definitely have your favorites. Uh, I mean, there are some that I like enough that I don't take them out of the loft to like use them for training. <laughs> you know, it's like two or three of them are like, they're, they're, you know, they're my birds. I don't put them out for training or I try not to. Um, so that's been pretty neat. And, you know, the kids love, we've, we're starting to get some hatching out. So we've got some babies and they help feed them and stuff. So it's been, you know, it's been neat having them way more interesting than I would have guessed. Like when I got the pigeons, I was just thinking, okay, they're just a device for training. Um, and they kind of do become pets, which is pretty interesting. We've talked about it. It's amazing how often this comes up. Uh, just talking to people, it came up on the last profile I did with uh, my buddy Matt Padilla. Is they they develop their own personalities, man, and you start kind of recognizing which one has which personality. And and yeah, I mean, you know, anybody kind of uh, on the fence of whether to get pigeons, get pigeons, man. It's just part of it. It's an added element. It's enjoyable for the most part. It's not like it's that much work, honestly. You know, just do a little bit of leg work and set it up the right way on the start of it, and you're good. And and if you do have kids, it is a great way to kind of get them involved to where you know they they really enjoy taking care of the birds. But uh, we we can move on from the family talk. We can stay on this forever. I want to jump in how you learned and started developing your wire hairs. Is like you said, you jumped in, you got a wire hair. Uh, what what was your target? What was your goal? What were you trying to develop your first puppy into? Were you waterfowl focused? or just the blood tracking and that turned into upland birds? Yeah, so it's definitely more focused on upland birds, but with the ability, I've never done a lot of waterfowl. Um, it's something I would like to get into, like I hear a lot of people say. <laughs> you know, I feel like if you're in it, you're in it, and if you wanna break into it, it can be kind of tough to find places to go and access and things like that. So I knew eventually I would like to get into the waterfowl and with the added plus of at that time, like I said, I was deer hunting quite a bit. So doing the blood tracking was important. Um, and I, you know, so I really got interested in this right around like the COVID timeframe and it didn't have anything to do with like being at home more. That just happened to be like the stage in my life when this was, you know, something I was thinking about a lot. And I remember I found NAVDA, joined a local chapter and like reached out to them about coming and watching a test before I even had Leo. So I think from the early beginning, at a minimum, I knew I wanted to do natural ability. At the time, I was thinking like, man, natural ability is like a really important test. And, and I'm not saying it isn't. I think it's really great feedback for breeders. But, you know, you don't have anywhere close to like a trained or finished dog, right? So I think even at that time, I was so green. I was like, man, I'm going to get a prize one in natural ability, I'm going to be set. And then the way I look at it now is like, they really the rubber meets the road after natural ability. You're actually starting to work with your dog, right? So but I wasn't able to go because of COVID to like one of the training days, and which was kind of a bummer, but I just, you know, read the green book. I started reading quite a few books, which I actually found, you know, it's good to get information, but my experience was almost like when you're just getting into this, the more I was reading, almost the more confused I was getting. You know, if I'm being honest, there's like that, I'm still trying to find like where that sweet spot is between being like informed and trying to do things the best way in the smartest way versus just feeling overwhelmed. 
because as you know, even like the steadiness episodes, as an example, like it's just kind of fascinating. I don't think there's an area that you could take more than like steadiness and listening. I think it was four different episodes to how differently those people do it and how wildly successful they are. Uh, the, the woe series, is that what you're talking about? Oh yeah, that's right. The woe series. Yeah. The woe series. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. And, and just hearing about how people do it so differently. I just started with him, you know, baby steps with teaching woe, you know, before he was eating his food, building up his retrieve drive and just slowly kind of got into it. And I used like the nav, the green book, listened to your podcast a lot. Like I said, I had pigeons at home went to nav the training days and just kind of one thing led to the next. I didn't, I reached a point with him. I think this is important for people who have newer dogs. When he was about nine, he was about nine months old. Um, this is Leo, who's my first wire hair during his first hunting season. And I think it was kind of like a catastrophe of a hunting season, to be honest with you. It was like he was taking out birds. He was mauling birds, um, you know, hard mouth. Oh, I got on Google about <laughs> hard mouth. And basically Google's response is, you should just give the dog away. Basically, <laughs> I was kind of torn up. Like, yeah, there, there isn't a, like some people say like, well, you can do, you can try force fetch, but then you go down the rabbit hole of like the people who think force fetch is terrible and that no one can do it. And it's, um, there it was a mess. So I went from kind of the curve that I had was, so that would have been like November of his first year. Um, and just once he was like being hard mouthed with birds and getting on them, I just kind of stopped hunting him for like the last month of the season. Started, uh, tested him in natural ability that spring and he did well. He got a prize on natural ability. And that's when I started to feel like, okay, this is a lot of this is like a young dog. And I feel like I just need to give him more time and I can train him. But at the time, you know, with your first dog and he's nine months old and he's doing that. I felt like something was wrong. You know, it was just, and maybe it was, maybe the hard mouth thing was wrong, but, um, you know, going through force fetch and going through all the training throughout the summer and then random and UT this following spring. So, you know, within, I kind of went from having a dog at nine months that I wasn't really sure that was going to be a good fit for me and what we were going to do about it based on kind of his performance that first season and being new to it, not understanding what the expectation should be. You know, that was pretty tough to then, a year and a half later, you know, running them in UT. So that was the learning curve and how quickly things happen. So I think, you know, early on, I probably just needed to be a little bit more patient, you know, with, with understanding what, what my expectation should be, you know, going into that first season. Dude, I mean, you, you hit on so many things that are relatable for not only myself, but probably so many people that first get into this world and they get their first dog. I mean, everything from, you know, it, putting a little bit more emphasis on what the NA test and NAVDA really is, you know, it's just like, it's fun. It's cool. Go do it. It's a, it is, you know, a cool accomplishment, but ultimately it is feedback for the breeder. It's not, you know, it, it's in the name natural ability, right? You're, you're gauging the dog's natural instincts and that's more valuable to the breeder than, than per se your training or, or preparation and utility is kind of where you take that next step and you start developing them. But, but man, the hard mouth and just kind of learning the difference between bad habits, what's just a young, immature puppy, uh, prioritizing to where it's just like, all right, you know, if we had talked and you told me that you have a nine month old puppy out there and you're getting frustrated because it's a hard mouth, I'm like, okay, I, I don't care at this point. It's nine months. You haven't done force fetch yet. We'll, we'll fix that. 
But nine months, if I have a dog at nine months old going out, finding the birds, holding point, letting me flush, and I shoot the bird over it, I don't care if it's got a hard mouth or not. I'm ecstatic because everything else leading up to that is is coming along just fine. But so many people get wrapped up, especially on the retrieving. I don't know what it is about retrieving and most people to where, especially the versatile dogs, it's just, you know, oh man, he he won't come give me a, a, a clean handoff. And you ask, how old is he? Uh, you know, four months old. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> I truly don't care. We, we will clean that up later. Now, I'm not telling everybody to encourage bad habits, but by not focusing or or realizing where you're at in, in relation to where you're wanting to go with that dog, you do get caught up in the Google or social media trap to where you start looking at solutions for problems that aren't really problems. And hard mouth is a great example to where you open that door to get a lot of input from everybody else. You're going to get everything from just force fetch your dog. Well, it's nine months old. Maybe it's not mentally mature enough for force fetch. You get yourself into trouble there. Well, go get, you know, go get a tennis ball and put nails through it. I, I still hear that from time to time. Like it'll hurt them when they chomp down. Uh, I had one guy on my first dog going back to where I thought she had a hard mouth issue and she really didn't. She was just just a little kind of happy, you know, just happy playing with it in her mouth. But I thought that was hard mouth when I first got into it. He, he advised me to go to PetSmart and get that sour apple bitter spray thing that dogs don't like and inject that between the skin of a bird and the meat. And when she bites down on it, she's going to get that flavor and not like it and not bite down on it. I'm like, now I hear that and I'm like, well, or you could just create an issue where that dog doesn't want to carry a bird, <laughs> right? Right, right. <laughs> like, exactly, yeah. You can get all kinds of different things. So, you know, to your point, the main lesson in all this, especially first-time bird dog owners, is be patient, you know, especially if the natural ability is there. Yeah. And I was just so anxious to, I, you know, I just, I wanted to be, I wanted to be hunting and I didn't expect them to obviously be like fully steady or anything like that. Like I I knew enough, I'd read enough not to expect that, but yeah, I think it was just like the disappointment and the frustration where I felt like, okay, your natural tendency should not be to want to maul this thing, right? Like, why are you wanting to do this? And then, like I said, the number one mistake was like asking, uh, getting into some forums and threads and Google about it. And, you know, so that there's a lot of, lot of negative stuff out on the internet about that. And basically the feedback is, you know, my recollection of it from looking at the stuff was just most people online just said it couldn't be fixed. Um, and he has, a wonderful, you know, retrieve now. I mean, it's fantastic. So, but you know, and force fetch fixed it immediately. He went through force fetch pretty quickly. So, you know, I just needed to be uh, more patient, but I was also, you know, with him very early on, you know, putting birds out like in launchers, you know, I'll, maybe we'll get to that segment later, but you know, that was like one of the biggest mistakes. <laughs> so I was just had like, I always joke and say like more money than cents. So I got the pigeons and got the launchers and I'm like, now I'm set. Now I'm going to train this dog. And that just, 
that didn't go so well. So I wouldn't recommend that for people, but you know, maybe we'll come back to that. <laughs> I always ask everybody on the profiles, what, what's a mistake that they made with their dogs that they learned from and would advise other people not to do themselves uh, that's relatable. So let's go on into that. What, what was that mistake? Was it just laying it on too, too thick, too often, you know, talk to me about what the mistake was with the launchers and pigeons. Yeah. So I think it was more user error, just not being, I didn't practice enough with them, both on timing and like literally just making sure that like the, not that they're locked correctly, but that the remote was working, everything was working. So, you know, sometimes they get stuck. They don't always work a hundred percent of the time and the buttons can be kind of tricky too, just to make sure that, you know, once you clamp it down, you have to, you know, press that button just a little bit on mine so that it kind of it expands that spring a little bit more and then it's ready to release so even reading through like the i just needed to practice with them more i think i i jumped in too much with like putting batteries in it putting a bird in it i of course tested it a few times i probably needed to practice like at least 20 or 25 times with it and i probably practiced five times and so I didn't have an issue with him around it on the check cord, but I had an issue once he was off of the check cord, he got into some of those traps and, and got some of the birds. And that just set, that set my steadiness back pretty far. You know, I had to really go back and like revisit a lot of stuff because of that. So I think the launchers are a great tool, but yeah, there was a lot of user error on the front end. So I'd say just as simple as most of the issues I think happen with launchers like he was, he was used to him. He wasn't scared of him and he didn't have like one pop in his face, but he did a couple didn't release <laughs> on more than a couple times. <laughs> and, you know, he got into those traps and, you know, anyone who's dealt with that kind of the aftermath of that is just, it's a lot, you know, a lot of frustration. So, yeah, I think the the takeaway from that is just, you know, being careful, probably using them for the first time or two around someone who's experienced with them you know, or having a buddy there to help you. Cause that, that was another thing too, is a lot of the training early on, I was doing on my own and there's just a lot going on, you know? So it's, I think it's really beneficial to have a buddy there with you if you can um, just to have someone else, you know, whether they have, if you have a check cord, maybe they have the remote, you just don't have so much going on, you know, at an early stage would be beneficial. Man, that, that is a great point, especially, you know, if newbies, you're just inexperienced, maybe, watching the dog carrying a check cord the e-collar the the remote launcher it's a lot a lot to handle sometimes and I, I say it all the time on the podcast where when you add mechanical devices or objects to the training scenario you are going to experience some failures at some point whether that's human error or the battery dies or just you know, a machine is a machine and, and it just doesn't work properly, right? Like, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times just the release arm on the trap just it, for whatever reason just hangs up and it, it won't like roll off to launch the bird. And, uh, but it happens. I mean, heck, it happened to me just yesterday. You know, I'm, I'm running my girls and I have birds out there. I have four launchers out there and I have two singles and then I have two cupped up together because I'm trying to get them back ready for covey birds and, and getting them used to that there's multiple birds in an area. And we go up to the first one and I forgot to pull the pull the pin out of the thing for me to be able to launch it. Human error. And I use these things on a weekly basis, right? Like it's just... 
you know, it, so yeah, I mean, just learning the tool and and really getting a good hang of it because it's just like e collars, man. E collars a tool. If you in the right hands, it's fantastic. In the wrong hands, you can do some damage and really set yourself back into some training scenarios. Uh, obviously, I think the the steadiness mishaps. You know, unless you're really really fouling up the launchers, you, it's probably a little easier to overcome some mistakes with the launcher than than maybe with an e-collar, but the same principle overall. Yeah, and I, I think what I ended up doing, and this is what I've done with Rosie, my younger wire hair is just way, I was, I think I overall was doing way too much out in the field, trying to create scenarios from books I'd read about doing this and doing that. And I've done very little i mean she gets a, like my younger wire hair gets a lot of fun runs you know this fall put her on the ground she got to hunt a lot but i haven't had a really around traps much at all i mean we're just doing a lot of table work you know just a lot of i call it just like whether it's yard work for me it's in my garage you know we're just doing a lot of that stuff before we're getting into those scenarios like with the traps and i haven't really worked on yet uh, steadying her up but you know i've just been a little bit more methodical about it at this time but not feeling so rushed to be like okay i've got to get a bird out in the grass in a trap create the scenario to train her it's more back to the basics of a solid woe foundation working from the training table and doing things like that because i think i probably rushed it you know with leo and he he turned out fine like i think i mentioned to you last Spring, he tested in utility just a little over two years old and he got a prize one so like we came back from this stuff right like i was able to kind of recover but i don't know i don't know how much of that is like did i help him or is it his genetics because i certainly hurt him in some areas you know so i don't know how much i like helped versus hurt versus his genetics right so looking back on like I, you know i don't know i don't know who's really should take the credit for it but I think the overwhelming message would just be, you know, you're going to make mistakes. You hope to avoid the really big ones, but you can come back from stuff. I think there can be a tendency like dog catches one bird and for a newer handler, they're immediately thinking like, man, this is, this is a problem. Like I'm going to ruin this dog. And you know, that, that isn't the case. And you don't want to get on Google. I'd recommend just not looking at this stuff online for the most part. Well, and that goes back to just find, find who you trust to bounce ideas off of. It's like, I can honestly say, you know, I see all those crazy posts and forums that everybody else sees on Facebook or, or fill in the blank. And I'm not going to sit there here and claim that there's no good information out there because you you can find some good quality tips in there, but it's going to be hidden with 20, 30 bad tips and bad advice, right? And so that's why it's like, it's important to, if you don't have a mentor, at least have a training buddy that kind of understands you and your dog and your goals to bounce ideas off of to where every time I I have something to do or, or some kind of concern or hiccup, I'm reaching out directly to somebody and we're going to have a phone conversation. We're going to discuss it in full context. I'm not going on Facebook to a Facebook group and being like, you know, oh my God, you know, how do I introduce the gun to, m- to my dog? Like, no, like don't, don't go asking 50 million different people, their opinions, go ask one. And if that doesn't make sense, go ask another person. And if, you know, just, just keep going down that path. But so you, you ended up getting a prize one on the utility. Are you going to go through and do invitational training? Are you, are you going to uh, try and pass the invitational with them? I'm still trying to determine that. I'm leaning towards no. Um, 
you know, he can be a little bit sharp at times, like with other dogs and not really like going after them, but just sort of aloof with them. And I don't know, I'm a little bit worried about the brace, you know, doing that with him. I hunt with buddies and, and we hunt our dogs together, but I'm, I'm still, it's still too early to know, to be honest with you. I think the retrieving aspect of it, like I've already worked with them on, you know, March retrieves, driving the piles, even I think the, the retrieving aspect of it, and he's really pretty obedient. I think he could get through that portion of the test. I really don't have a doubt in my mind that we could get through that portion of the test. I'm more concerned about like exactly how he's going to do hunting along another side, another dog, you know, for what could be 60 minutes. Right. So have have to figure that out. And he's, he's young enough that we just haven't done that a bunch. So he's to the point now with like the buddies that I hunt with, he's good around their dogs, but it's because he knows them, right? Like he sees them all the time. So I need to figure out how he does around lots of other dogs, like, you know, different breeds, different personalities, male and female. And I just have to wrap my head around what that would look like so that the brace just doesn't completely unravel, you know, to go all the way out to Iowa or wherever it is in 2024. So I'm more focused right now on Rosie, who's the one-year-old wire hair and her utility, which I'll do in spring of uh, next year. So I'm right in the middle of force fetch with her right now. Nice. So that's kind of my primary focus. Yep. So I'll probably... You know, I think I'll probably end up foregoing um, the invitational for my oldest flyer hair, focus more on utility. And even if I have to run Leo again through utility at some point, you know, like I said, he's just, he's barely two and a half at this point. So maybe I come back and run him in utility again. And when he's four or five, do the invitational, you know, but it is tempting. I think it'd be great to do. It's never been, you know, when I first started doing NAV, like I said, I, was, I thought that the natural ability was kind of a big deal. And then you realize, well, that's actually utility and trying to get a prize one, which I thought was unattainable, but did it. And so I don't want to say I wouldn't do the invitational, but it seems like a little bit of a stretch right now, you know, where I am. Have you been before? Have you, have you gone? I haven't ran one of my dogs in it, but I've gone and like volunteered and, and kind of seen what it's about. And obviously I get to talk to a million people that, that have gone through the process and, and participate in it every year. So it, it's a cool experience, man. I mean, even just the the little kind of welcoming ceremony at the start, playing the, the national anthem and stuff like that. Like it, it's a cool experience. And so like if you have an interest in doing it, something like that, the sharpness concern Maybe go go to a NAV to training day and, and, you know, don't be that guy that just goes and throws your dog out there knowing that there's a potential issue. Just kind of let the, the guys know what's going on. Just be like, hey, look, I want to do this, but just to let you know, I, you know, he can get sharp at some time. So I'm trying to work this out, you know, be forthcoming with the information and then nobody can really kind of claim that. It, you're the issue. Just don't be that guy to where if he does start off uh, a fight, you know, that dog started it. It's like, you know, take ownership of your dog. That's my main issue with people that have dogs like that. It's like, it happens. They're out there. Just be honest about it. And if you're, if you're that guy that your dog keeps getting in fights and you're always pointing the finger at somebody else, like, nah, you need to, you need to look at those other fingers that are pointing right back at you when you're pointing at them, because, you know, I know too many people that do that way too often. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I, I think that's right. And with, with him, it's even interesting. My vet says that she thinks it's resource guarding and I'm the resource because really when he tends to do it is like when he's on a leash and near me, if there's a field full of dogs and I let him off the leash and he goes, he's, he's fine. Like he doesn't chase dogs down. He does his own thing. So it's, but you know, when you're getting out of the truck or walking out 
you know, getting up to the field, that's when he tends to display it. It's usually when he's on his leash. So I think we could work through it, you know, but it was interesting hearing my vet talk about it. Not that this is the end all be all. Cause she, she saw him one day, like in the vet and how, like in her office and how he's acting. She's like, I really think it's like, it's you. He's, you know, he's resource guarding you and you could try to work around that. So, well, and, and that's, that's, that's honestly like a, I'm not going to say a good quality, but kind of good quality. And that like, he's, he's cognizant of where you're at it, and, but the leash, man, the, so many people don't realize that leash and like so many more dog fights happen because of on leash introductions between dogs and owners kind of pulling back. You know, it's that opposition reflex. If you're going to pull back on a leash, what does that dog want to do? It wants to pull against you. That's why harnesses really do the exact opposite of what most people, the average person really thinks that they're accomplishing with the harness is what dogs primarily wear a harness. Sled dogs. What do sled dogs do? They're pulling stuff. So if you're yanking back on it, they're going to go. And so when you have two dogs that are getting yanked back in opposite, you know, opposite directions, they're going to associate that other dog as applying the pressure, if that makes sense. And so like they just lash out. I mean, it, it happens all the time. You just said it yourself. You take him off the leash and he'll go run with other dogs. Well, when you're running a brace, mate, guess what? Your dog's not going to be on a leash. So you're good. <laughs> yeah. And I hate to sell them short and like, not. I, I have thought like, well, the invitational at the minimum, like I got to get experience, right? Like the first time going out there, he's a young dog. Maybe I should bite the bullet and do it. Like, as you can tell, like I'm still off. I think about it all the time. I mean, I keep like a whiteboard for training kind of on a weekly schedule to try to stay on top of stuff during short sessions. And I've got stuff that I'm doing for him and we've started some of the advanced retriever work. So I'm kind of already starting to prepare him for it. But yeah, I mean, as long as I think if we can get through the brace and hunting with another dog piece, um, I would try to give it a shot just for the experience. Like you said, I think it'd be really neat to do. I'd love to volunteer and help out while I'm there. I do think I've gotten so much from NAVDA. I wouldn't, I, I mean, he is definitely a better dog. I mean, both dogs are because of, and not that NAVDA is like the end all be all. I think whether, you know, if you're doing field trials or whatever it is, but I think these organizations and the people you meet and the support they provide are so awesome. And the Upland community, that's like pretty neat, right? It's, um, it's not like that in all sports and organizations. So, you know, I think it'd be great to give back and do that. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, no, I, I mirror that sentiment to where I tell everybody, you know, the, the NAVDA, what you, a lot of people have qualms with NAVDA, you know, right or wrong. They, everybody has their thoughts and feelings about certain things, but you're going to have that in every organization and every structured testing or trialing whatsoever. But in my opinion, the value that NAVDA brings is the network, the people, you know, you get to link up and go hunt, you get to link up and go train the, the opportunities it affords you. So even if you have issues with the actual test structure or what matters to you and what doesn't matter to you, either way, just kind of getting within that, that community and establishing some bonds and relationship like NAVDA, in my opinion, is still, I haven't, I haven't seen one better than NAVDA in that regard. And so that's what I tell everybody is like, go, go into it kind of with open eyes and in terms of that. But, uh, so we, I already asked you your biggest mistake or, or learning curve that you've had uh, with Leo and, and kind of getting into this world. The other question I always ask is, is there an episode, guest, topic, something that you've listened to on the podcast that has really kind of stuck with you or helped you through some sort of hurdle? 
Yeah, so it's I know this one comes up a lot, but it's definitely the Force Fetch series and uh, specifically Mark Whalen's episode. So I got through, like I said, I was really struggling with Leo at this point as to like, man, are we going to be able to fix, you know, some of the hard mouth things? I listened to it a handful of times when I was going through stuff with Leo and I've revisited it with Rosie, right? So I'm doing kind of the exact same thing. And so his episode, Kyle Huff's, Rosie's actually out of Kyle's kennel too. So like his episode is great around pressure. So I, both of those really are great um, and were helpful. So I pretty much just followed the steps and like the nav the green book and then coupled with those podcasts though, like Mark's, all of his, I think where it's so helpful is just hearing him talk about like the verbal aspect of it, like lots of praise, you know, as few commands as possible. It's just, a, it, it was very helpful to add kind of some color to the steps that I followed through like the green book to get through it. And also like that brush technique that he uses. So that I think that's probably in part what helped fix some of the hard mouth because I was using, you know, thought out birds. And if he went to even roll them, he wasn't really chomping, but if he went to roll them, brush went in. And it really wasn't dramatic. And it was probably only three or four times, never had another issue. And I think that for me kind of ties into like the Patreon piece and why I really wanted to become like a Patreon member, because I think, I think about the amount of time and kind of money I probably would have spent like trying to send him to a trainer and get it fixed. Or if I had rehomed him, which I've heard of people doing because of hard mouth, all of the different roads I would have gone down. But that episode or two kind of helped me get through that entire thing, which is just so cool. You know, I think it's so valuable to support the podcast and listen to these episodes. So yeah, that one really sticks out. I did like Perfection Kennels. I will say the one that came out this week was pretty awesome. That I know everyone would say like, well, that's a recency bias because you just listened to it. But I'm like, man, that they're the first, that's one of the first ones where I'm like, I really want to go out and like see one of their seminars. I love like the way that they talked about training and how they, you know, just keeping things simple and minimal speaks a lot to me because I think sometimes dog training, we get into a world where people come up with like a new method and it seems like the new method is always like really complicated. You know, it's just kind of my, my, um, kind of personal bias. Sometimes it can just be really complex or more complicated, but it's like the new, more advanced method of training. I love that they just kind of keep things simple. So, you know, I think kind of secondarily, I would ask everyone probably to listen to the Perfection Kennels one. I think that was pretty awesome. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed kind of catching up with them. I know they've been on my list for a while and, and, and you just, you listen to the episode, so you 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 summed it up perfectly. You know the the easiest way to sum up their approach is is simple. And then uh, Mark's force fetch episode has has kind of opened the eyes of a lot of people. And and I appreciate you finding uh, so much value in that episode that you know you, you decided to sign up for Patreon because it, it's stuff like that to where that's why I keep doing this is is talking to people such as yourself that the episodes and information really helps. Uh, I mean, that's, that's the catalyst that, that was the motivation of the entire podcast was bring actual valuable information that I was after as a first time dog owner and sharing that with everybody. Because, you know, again, not, not to beat the drum, but you, you start Googling, you read so many books. Like I was getting frustrated just like you to where you'd read one book, do this, this, and this. And then the very next book is like, absolutely do not do that, that, and that. And it's just like, well, what, what the heck? You know, what do I do? And so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Yeah. And let, let's just go find the resources and the people that know better and then throw everything at the wall. And it's for everybody to listen to and what makes sense to them and and for them to figure out what to go apply to their own dog and more so than me telling them exactly how to go train their dog. Yeah. And I think, you know, finding a method, something that works with you, resonates with you and sticking with it. Like, I, you know, for Rosie, I, so I mentioned she's in the middle of force fetch right now. I before I started with her, it crossed my mind. I'm like, man, should I, should I make sure that there isn't something else I want to do? Like, should I look into some other methods, make sure that, that there isn't something out there that maybe makes more sense for me? And I immediately went to like, why would I do that? <laughs> you know, if it's not broke, why fix it? Let's at least start with her. And everything's been going great with it. But it is, I have a curiosity, I guess, about those things. I'm like, well, you know, there is other ways to do it. Like, am I sure that this is the way I want to stick with? And I kind of, I've gotten smart enough now with this. I'm like, I'm, yeah, second dog. I'm going to stick with this method uh, for now. I'll I'll explore other things later, maybe. And, And, you know, I tell everybody, you know, find the method that makes sense to you so you can make it make sense to the dog. But also, don't be afraid to try new things because that's how you continue to learn, you know, as long as it makes sense to you and you go about it methodically and, and well-intentioned and, and all the considerations that we preach about. But, like, don't be afraid to try new stuff because that's how you develop a more efficient way of doing things is kind of grabbing what makes sense in this method and what makes sense in that method and then kind of creating your own. Uh, that can be a dangerous thing to tell somebody, especially when they first start out. But that I think like we do do a halfway decent job on the podcast of conveying that it's like look you know start off with a method start off with an approach because you you can't really determine what works for you and doesn't work for you if you don't really understand the why behind all of it and so really you know don't be afraid to step out and try new things with different dogs it's like you know I'm on my third one now and I'm doing things a completely different way with her than I did the first two. And, uh, you know, the fourth one, there's going to be certain things that I adjust based off of what I've done with this third one is if you're not adapting every time you go through this stuff, then you're not trying to get better. And so, like, I agree with you. If it's not broke, don't fix it. But don't be afraid to add in a new little element here and there just to kind of test the waters and see how how it reacts and, and if you like it, right? Well, and that's, yeah, that's exactly right. And like, I can give you just a quick example with force fetch with Rosie right now. If you pour on the praise, she gets so excited. She's just such a happy, fun loving dog. If you pour on the praise, I mean, she just kind of like wiggles almost out of her body and and drops the Dow, (laughs) right? Like she, she doesn't mean to, but she, it's almost like she can't control the excitement. So I've already figured out, I'm like, that's, I need to tone it down some, like with her, it's just like, good girl you know, that's all she needs. And maybe sometimes even that she starts to look at me and wiggle a stuff, you know, and she knows what she's supposed to be doing. But, you know, that's just an example of like a small modification versus like with Leo and listening to Mark, Mark's episode. I mean, I was like pouring on the praise for him and he's kind of like a, you know, grumpier old <laughs> wire <laughs> and I had to get him, get him moving down the table. But uh, with Rosie, it's the exact opposite. So just even little tweaks and you got to, pay attention to the dog and what they're doing and kind of what you're doing, how that's influencing them. So I think the adaption is pretty important. Yeah, man. It it goes back to controlling that thermostat is what Martha Greenley calls it is knowing when to pour the gas on the fire and when not to. And every dog's different. Some dogs need that real high buildup. Other dogs might suffer from that buildup. And so you, you as the owner and the handler, you need to know how to 
you know, pour on the praise when you need it, but also don't do it to where it ruins your, your session like that. And, and that's one of, I preach it all, all the time, the intangible uh, lessons that you learn throughout force fetch that you're learning that that significant difference between both dogs and how you handle them as opposed to if you did take them to a pro trainer nothing wrong with that but you may not learn or or notice that difference and that lesson in dog training overall right like you're just gonna be like oh you're supposed to praise every single dog well n- not necessarily right you know each one of my dogs that i've done is different in different ways too and so that's why i tell i, I urge everybody it's doable everybody can do it uh it's just you know that there's there's so much value in it to where if you have the time and the the desire to to try it go try it yeah, and I think that's the value, again, back to like the podcast too, and hearing from someone like John, you know, it's trained, well, I think he said 20,000 dogs. Like, can you imagine, <laughs> right? It's like, I just can't, I can't even imagine like the amount of experience you have, even a hundred dogs or a thousand dogs. I mean, just to go through it with different dogs, I think that's the value of hearing from some of these people too, just their experiences and, you know, kind of taking away from those things versus like if you're reading it in a book, you're, you're getting kind of their training method, but you're not getting the color around, well, what if this doesn't go well? Because not all dogs are going to, you know, respond or do. Re- and I think that was a confusing thing for me at the beginning, too, is like reading a book and following the steps. And then if that didn't go well with the dog, I'm like, OK, it's a dog. You know, something's and I think it was actually probably it was me. Right. Like I think I learned with Leo. I'm like, I actually think I'm the issue. Like he's fully capable. I've already learned that. I'm like any any like lack uh, of accomplishment for him is probably more due to me. So I kind of realized that at like maybe 11 or 12 months in. But I think, you know, listening to the audio and hearing some of these trainers is pretty critical because you get some color around uh, what you wouldn't otherwise hear in a book, which is just kind of step by step stuff, you know. And and by all means, everybody still go read those books. Consume everything, in my opinion, and and you know it, what it chew up the meat that you know and spit out the bones. It, you know what actually applies to you. You find value and keep, and then ignore the rest because the books can be challenging. You know, it's in my experience, a lot of books are come from the the aspect of this is the way to train your dog, not a way to train your dog, and so so many of the troubleshooting issues within some of those books, it kind of starts from you're the handler and you screwed it up more so than maybe there's a hole in the process or that dog is a different, you know, personality or genetic makeup. And so kind of getting that full context can be difficult, especially just reading through it one time. Uh, so obviously, there. I mean, I'm, I'm still reading books. I mean, I got a stack of training books that I'm constantly going through something and trying to learn myself, but uh, don't just ignore the books because there's some really valuable information from those. And there's so many trainers and and authors out there that have written some information that you're just not going to be able to find anywhere else nowadays. You know, they left their mark within the dog training world and hunting world to where if you don't go and search out the knowledge and, and the works and the books like that, you you might be missing something that really just clicks for you and puts everything in, in line and in perspective for you. Yeah, and I think the more experience you have, the more you're able to pick and choose. Like, you know, as you're, you know, you're reading something, a training method, and you're like, yeah, that resonates with me or no, it doesn't versus the first time you're reading through the book, you're like, okay, I've, I felt like, at least for me personally, I've got to do it this way. This person knows what they're talking about. 
this is the way to do it. And then you read your second book, you're like, okay, now, now I'm really, I'm off the train tracks now because this person sounds, sounds like they know what they're doing. So I think you're exactly right. I definitely don't want people to um, think like I'm saying, you know, not, not read the books. It's just, I think once you kind of go through them, get a good sample, find out what method you think works for you and try to be consistent and stick with it you know, is critical because that, that, as I know, happened early on with me where I changed course a few different times with things where I, you know, was planning to do something one way and then I changed and just because this way sounded better. And I don't know, once you learn more, you have better insight to know, okay, why do I need to change what I'm doing? Is there a reason to change it versus I just read a different book that says to do it differently? You know, so just take some experience. Yeah. And trust me, you're, you're preaching to the choir here. I get to, you know, I have the fortunate benefit of uh, talking to trainers week in, week out. And it's like every week I want to go out there and change my process and stuff but that like that because of, you know, recency bias, like you you alluded to. And, and it's hard not to get caught up into that. I mean, I'm always having to remind myself like, nope, yeah, you're going this path. This is why, you know, it's just like, but that that just furthers the the point that everybody has value to bring within their own methods and processes to where you know I'm 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 just naturally that curious to where I'm chasing it down. But but man, we can keep circling this and talking about this all day long. We we've gone a little bit longer than what I normally do on these profile episodes. But uh, I I didn't realize we were going this long, so I I think it's time to go ahead and wrap it up, Colin. I appreciate your your support over the years, listening and and reaching out. You'll have to let me know what you decide with leo and the invitational and and also let me know how rosie's hunting season goes this year yeah i sure will man like i said great job with the podcast it's been super helpful you know for me over the years so i've gotten a lot of value out of it i think it's great so thanks for all your hard work i know it takes a lot of time when you've got a wife and kids and now three dogs so kudos to you (laughs) yeah no i absolutely i appreciate the kind words and uh love doing it and thanks again and uh, we'll talk soon okay sounds good thanks nick Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high grade lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup just have to replace it again and year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukanuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukanuba to help power their ultimate performance 
Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.